Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I don't get a chance to speak that often. Most of the time I'm behind the scenes. Sort of a, a little bit of feedback, I think. Yeah, most of the time I'm behind the scenes. I like to be behind the scenes, so I do a lot of teaching behind the scenes. The last couple of times I spoke, uh, one of my messages was pursuing a spirit-led life. The next message was pursuing a word-led life. And today it's going to run similar to that. But before I get into my message and tell you what it's going to be, I want to give you an update for Pastor Willie. Now he's, he was supposed to be here to finish up the last of a four-lesson series on Jonah. Pastor Will, Willie went into the hospital last week and uh, he had, uh, you know, coughing. He'd been coughing and trying to get the mucus out and stuff like that. And in the process, he got pneumonia. And uh, his lungs was inflamed. The last time I was with him, which was last week, he was doing a lot better and stuff. And uh, um, Minerva and the kids, they were having more up to date. But as it stands right now, they're taking tests and stuff, and they're waiting to see the results. He'll probably be there until Monday, and he'll come home. Right now, they really don't want visitors. What you can do is pray. I mean pray. Uh, what I've been encouraging people to do, look, when you're praying, um, when you see people outside, like all this killing, the cop killing, what you see is a manifestation of demonic activity being expressed through those people, whether it's right or wrong. You understand what I'm saying? When somebody's sick or has a problem, a lot of times when you pray, you have to go into Satan's territory, take back what he's trying to steal. You can't just prepare a prayer, oh God bless him, oh God help him. You can do that, but it takes power. Satan is on the move. He's trying to destroy every one of you here. He's got a plan. But the Bible said our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull it down a stronghold. So when you're praying, that's what we believe, praying in the spirit. Because you have to go in the spirit realm and take back what's Satan. And that takes tenacity. That takes not praying timid prayer. Because some people are hurting and they need help financially, physically, or whatever. And sometimes you pray. That's why sometimes when I pray, when I pray for y'all, I'm praying for hours. Praying in the spirit. You, you in school, education, you want that A? Let me tell you something. You got an A, you're doing good. Because as long as I got a D, I was okay in school. I made it, Mama, on a D. I was proud. Because most of the people I was around, if they could get a D, they're doing good. And yet, y'all coming out with A's, we praying that you come out for A. We praying that your child will make it. Well, it takes prayer. It takes much prayer. And so, when praying for Pastor Willie, Pray fervent prayer. The Bible says a fervent prayer of a righteous man prevaileth much. And when you pray and you get a hold of Satan and those demonic spirits, the same way you pray for our nation, the things that's going on in our nation. It's not just because of this. You might see this person or this cop or this what, but it's spirits controlling these people, influencing it. And, you, and if, you, if you don't watch it, you'll listen to the lies of the enemy and quote them and wrong when God is doing something totally different. And when you pray and you learn to pray that way, guess what? You're going to have issues in your house 
your home. You have issues with your friends and stuff. So what we try to do is pray with tenacity, pray with fervency, and pray in line with God's will, knowing that the enemy is trying to destroy you. So that's why one of the hallmarks of Willis Ministry in Minerva is prayer. We used to pray around the clock. They would be the ones praying hours. Nobody has come. Finally, you know, we start coming and helping them out. And then Lord and Lord has taken over. So we believe in prayer. My mama is a good example. She pray hours. Pray for y'all. Pray for all of you, your kids. She pray. So prayer is so important. So that's what Pastor Willie need more than anything. He needs prayer. Then when he come home, you know, call the house, say, hey, we want to come see you. I'm pretty sure he's okay, you know. So I'm taking Pastor Willie's place. Pastor Willie in me, I'm getting a little weight, but, you know. No, 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 I'm just kidding. Um, so next week, Pastor Willie will be back in the form of John Dadio to finish his message. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's a little update on, on that. And this week, God bless my wife. I'm telling you, man. We just had our anniversary. And thank you all who responded on Facebook. Because if you were waiting for me, I wouldn't have responded. Well, she responded. Been married for her for 27 years. She has put up with me for 27 years. She need a trophy. One that sent. You ain't got to confirm that. <laughs> but, but she has been a godly woman to me. She is so neat, so clean, so unique, so fabulous. She just, I mean, I, I just thank God. Thank God for her. This is on tape. That's why I'm spending time. Matter of fact, I might just be my sermon right here. <laughs> but I, I just thank God for her. I'm telling you, you don't know. If I had listened to her more in my earlier years, I wouldn't have been in debt. I wouldn't have got in debt and get out. It's been so much that she has brought to my life. And uh, I was watching the day, she was laying on the bed snoring. I was wondering, man, man, when she gone, what I'm going to do? I can't keep this up clean. <laughs> she do more than that, though. But I'm just saying, she's precious to me. And so I just want to thank God for, thank God for the years we have had and stuff. And so I just want to throw that in. So, you know. This morning's message is entitled, I told you last two was pursuing a spirit-led life, pursuing a word-led life. This is pursuing a God-encountered life. It's so important that you have as a lifestyle pursuing a God encounter life. It is very important. 2016 is very important. If you took what I'm going to say today and the two messages and put them together and you went over and over and then you took note, then you went over them again till you so bored you didn't want to go again, you go again. This is how I grew. In 1973 when I got saved, this is how I grew. I would take someone who's a, a, a preacher who appealed to me, and I would, I would chew it, eat it, and chew it, and then I would apply it. This is what has blessed me, and I'll be sharing a little bit more about that. But that's, that's my message, pursuing God uh, encounter lifestyle, having that type of lifestyle. Now, what I want to do is, is share with you what do I mean by that lifestyle, but before I do that, I want to share with you at least three reasons why you should pursue God to have an encounter with him. 
Now, no, reason number one is that it's the foundation of your life. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 18, it says, For through him, talking about Jesus, both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, Paul is talking to the Ephesians church. He's showing them what they have in Christ. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you're not going to move the way God said. You must know who you are, are in Christ. Some of you have a million dollars. But you, you, you live a life as if you only have ten, spiritually speaking. And so we're going to touch on that. Verse 19. Consequently, because of Christ, you no longer are foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household. Verse 20. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. So he's the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation to your life. He it is that calls you to do what you can do or able to do in the kingdom of God. He is the foundation. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 26 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, talking about Jesus, put them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. The rains came down, the Streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had built its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So the house represents you. And what you don't want to be is a fan of Jesus. You want to be a follower. There's a book that Rachel uh, Richardson allow me to read, called Not a Fan. You want to be a follower. We'll touch on a little bit of that as we go. You're a fan of Jesus if you do not do what he says. You can know all about Jesus. Know all about what he does. But if you do not do what he says, guess what? You're not following. So to build your house, your life on a solid foundation is to hear what he says. In our case, in a lot of cases, is to read it and then apply it. That's building your house. That's building your life. When me and Stella got married, we built our house on a solid foundation. Brianna didn't have no choice but to hear about Jesus. She had no choice but to see Jesus in our home. Were we perfect? No, we weren't perfect. That's right. The Bible said we stand, we confess our fault, and we keep going. When you confess your fault, you keep going. You can walk perfect before God. You're not work per- perfect for men, but you can walk perfect before God. Don't wall in the guilt. So, in our household, Stella knows that I'm going to leave my household the best that I can to honor God. And she's going to follow. If I'm gone, she's going to leave. That's where it's got to be. No if and buts about it. You stand your ground. You stand what God said. You learn to apply it. So, that's important. It's the foundation. The number one reason why you want to see a God encounter lifestyle is because it's the foundation. Number two. It's that relationship that sets us apart from all other religion and other so-called gods. It is that relationship. The Muslims don't have this. Matter of fact, they hate us in a sense because they don't believe that God can come down and have an intimate relationship with you. But we do. The God who we serve loves us, and we have a relationship with him. 
I remember years ago when I was living in India, and, and this became even more real to me then, I remember going into the city of Calcutta. I wanted to meet Mother Teresa. How many of you know Mother Teresa? Raise your hand if you have heard of Mother Teresa. Godly woman. Godly saint. I mean, when I came into her presence, it was like President Obama coming. I wouldn't know what to say. I mean, I had planned to say things, but when she, you know, a dignitary, someone. Well, when, when I was coming in the city, I was on a bus that took me to the main city to, to where I was going to stay at, and the next day I was going to meet her. Well, while I was coming, like if I'm going this way in the bus, there was a whole bunch of people coming this way to us. And I was wondering, it was kind of strange what they're doing. They had this thing over their head, a huge statue. And you couldn't get your arm around it, and people was dancing like this. And the statue was probably from that wall to here, and that was their God. And when I was on that bus, I knew then that the difference between me and them was my relationship with Jesus Christ. But they were swaying. It looked like they were swaying on the floor. It could have been drugs or alcohol or what. But as the bus rolled back, that's the first thing I thought. The only difference between me and them is Jesus Christ. And so the next day, I went to the hospital where Mother Teresa worked at, and she allowed me a chance to, to talk to her. This was way before she passed away. And I thought I was in the presence of God. I'm telling you now. One thing... You know, I didn't see no men. This is bringing exhortation to women, not to put the men down, but there were women there. They were picking up the dying and the destitute. When I say dying and destitute, on Calcutta, they had people who were dying. They looked like they were in a prison camp and were starving. They were so skinny and frail. Well, these, these nuns would come and pick them up, put them on a bed. The bed was a, a metal plate, but size figure of a bed. And they would have them lined up, and they would have a hook, a long rod with a hook on to move them across the floor so they can mop and stuff. It was, it was terrible. Place were not clean, but that's all they had. And so I got a chance to sit down and talk with her, ask her different questions and stuff. Then after I talked with her, I went just up the street, probably but a half a block. And this was part of a tour I was taking. And I went into this place. It was a temple where the God of Hata, Calcutta, where they served. It was the most hideous thing. Unless you, unless you see it, it's just unbelievable. I, I didn't know people lived like that. But as I was walking down an alleyway, on both sides there were old women, shriveled up old women, scary, like you in a, in a horror movie. They were on the side, and I think they were begging for money or whatever. But they never said anything to me. But I walked by, and right when I got to where they worshipped, it was a statue. It was a statue of a woman that had five or six arms and stuff like it. It was black and had a red tongue out. It was the Kata God that they worshipped. And Calcutta is the worst of all the places in India. And it's terrible. And, only, and the difference between that place and Mother Teresa was Jesus Christ. That's the big difference. That's the difference in us. That's the foundation. It's that relationship that we have that make us different than all religion and all other gods. So that's number two. Number three, it helps to keep us or keep you from being just a fan of Jesus and not a follower. If you're not encountering God, if you're not uh, experiencing God on a daily basis, or at least close to daily, guess what? You're going to be a fan of Jesus. You can't help it. You can't help it. 
You have to experience God. You have to encounter him. You could not come to God unless God drew you. And once he drew you, you continue on. So those are three reasons why. We'll talk a little bit more. Those are three reasons, my why. Now, what do I mean by encountering God, that lifestyle? Here's what I mean. One sentence, simple, simple meaning. It is a lifestyle where you know. When I say know, like Adam knew Eve, it won't just head knowledge. He experienced her. It was intimacy. Where you know that God is the one who pursued you first, and it's time for me or you to pursue him. Where you know it. The Bible says we love him because what? He first loved us. God said, you cannot love me unless you love my brother. Now, you can love him up to a point, but you have to love uh, uh, your neighbor. If you don't, you can forget it. You can say you love God all you want to. The Bible said, how can you love me who you don't see? But then turn around who you do see, you hate. You cannot. So there's a reciprocal. If you encounter God, there's going to be a reciprocal response somewhere, some way. And that's what we want. We want the scripture to come alive. We want to walk and know that the God in us that we sung about is the God that wants to be released out of us to others. But we certainly want him to change our lives. We, we want to come to the book and know that we know that we know. Satan know that we know. Anybody else know that we know that Jesus is alive and he's on planet Earth. He's more alive than Santa Claus, than the Easter Bunny. That's why you got to teach your kids. Don't sit up and tell your kids that, that Santa Claus is real and all. I mean, you can tell them if you want to, but I'm just telling you now. Then, and, and they don't know Christ, then Santa Claus become more real than Jesus Christ. You don't want to do that. Because then, if they can, they're believing, you lie, Ma. I don't know you're not lying but Jesus. If, you, if they find out later. So, so that's what I mean. It is a lifestyle where you know, not just head knowledge, that God is the one who pursued you first, and it's time for you or me to pursue him. This started in 1973 for me when I was in the Marine Corps in boot camp. It started there when the chaplain talked, said so many good things about Christ that it touched my heart. And then I made the decision, I accept Christ. And it just changed. From then on, I began to encounter God in many ways. Up until that point, Jesus was a religious person, he was a historical person. He was a person people believed in. I didn't have anything against Jesus. I have anything against God. I wasn't a religious person. I was, wasn't a person that went to church that often. But once I did, the reciprocal response when I encountered him was several things. When I say encounter God, I don't mean just the big ways. There are small ways, little things God do that you want him to continue on to do for you because it made Christ and make God real in your life. Now let's look at a couple of biblical examples of this. The woman at the well. Let's look at that one first. Let's look at John chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judah and went away into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to go through. God was about to pursue someone. That person wasn't thinking about pursuing God. But God 
had her on his mind. And how do we know? Jesus only did what the Father said. So he had to go that way, and that was not a way that, that the Jews normally went because the, the Samaritans was not um, close as far as their relationships and stuff. So he went there, and then he met the woman at the well. He said some things to her that changed her life. That encounter changed her life. He said one word, and it exploded in her to the point, what was the result? She went and shared it with someone else. And then when, he, when she went to share it with them, they come back and said, now we believe, not just because of your word, because now we have encountered him. We know. So God was after somebody. He got her, then he ended up getting a whole village. So it's God that pursued her first. And in turn, she began to pursue God. Well, how did she pursue God? The first thing she knew, come and hear of a man who's the Messiah, I think. And, and what happened? They went and heard. So let's look at this. Verse 27 in chapter 4. It says, at this point, the disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one bought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And that's what he did. He accomplished his work. He said, my meat. So God was after him, showing him who to pursue. And he pursued that woman. And it changed her life. Changed her life. She won't no more fan. You know what she was at first? She was a religious person. She said, I know about the Messiah. I know about in the mountains where we worship him. And what God did, God took that what she believed. He took the future and the past and brought it into the present. Only God can do that. She then became no more just a fan or just a religious person. She became a follower of him. And God would do us. And that's what he'd do, do us all. So that's, that's number one example. Let's look at another one. The blind man in the Gospel of John chapter 9. Starting at verse 1. It says, as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. And the disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as a day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus said he was the light of the world while he was in the world. But you know, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And that's important. You got to know who you are. If you don't believe you're the light of the world, you're not going to respond the way Jesus did. So what did Jesus say? I'm the light of the world. And watch what the next thing he did. He said, verse 5 again, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle or, or, the, or, the, 
clay or the ground and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Just think. By him encountering God, look what happened. And sometimes, now when I say we encounter God, there are big things can happen to you. There are small things. This is a big thing. Big thing. It happened to him. God pursued him, and what happened? He encountered God, and something happened. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that the same God <laughs> that was in Jesus, the same God that is the same God for us. So when you go in the grocery store, or when you go somewhere, guess what? That same God in you, you can express yourself in such a way that you can be light. I'm going to give you a couple examples of that, too, in a few minutes. All right. Verse 8, therefore the neighbors and those previously saw him as beggar were saying, it's not this one who used to sit and beg. Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were you, your eyes open? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went away and washed and received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Now, he knew about the Messiah, but he really didn't know fully about him. But he knew enough to tell his encounter. So his encounter helped him. And we're going to see further how it helped him. Then verse 13 says, and they brought the Pharisees, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. And now it was the Sabbath, on the day in which Jesus made the clay open his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. And the Jews then did, did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He would speak for himself. So she, they, you know, they're they, they trying to tell him, look, I don't know. You know, you ask him. Why did they answer that that way? We'll see in a minute. They had not encountered God. But he did. So what was happening? those demonic spirits were interrogating her through those people, the Pharisees, the fans. They were harassing them. They didn't want nobody to say that this man is the Messiah because it would just nullify everything they believe. At least that's what they think. Everything that the temple was supposed to supply to the people and those leaders, they couldn't do it. They had to go outside the temple to Jesus Christ. And so it was a threat to them. And so what? Those demonic spirits used them to bring fear upon his parents and stuff. 
But now the man that had encounter with Jesus was a whole totally different ballgame. Let's read. All right. Verse 22 again. His parents said, said this, because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of Jews. In other words, 21, they said, ask him. Verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now, to be put out of synagogues like excommunicating people, putting them out of the church. And when in that society, the synagogue was, was a key thing. If you got kicked out, it could affect your relationships with, with the parents and uh, other people, buying goods and stuff. And so they feared that. And the Jews, they knew it. They had power over the people. But that one that had an encounter with God didn't mean nothing to him. And we'll see. So verse um, 23 again. For this reason, the parents said, he is of age. Acts him. 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I can see. I love that. Because let me tell you, you're on the street, you're sharing your testimony with someone, they may ask you all kinds of questions. I have this happen to me, all the kinds of stuff. Who set the moon in the sky? Who called that belly goat to do something? I said, look, I don't know about all that. And I'll go find the answer later. But one thing I can tell you, I was once blind, but now I see. Anybody can tell that. I was once in darkness. I once didn't know Jesus, but now I do. If you get no farther than that, you do that. Be a witness of them because what? The light is in you and people need to know. Let me give you a couple examples. One, one, one reason why we don't is because sometimes, like he, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't fearful of man. The fear of man will stop you sometimes. Well, let, me, let me give you a good example. This past week, couple past, yeah, a couple weeks ago, we are, in my company, is reaching out to Mexico do what you call drive testing. And what we do, we have a van go around places and they got equipment they test ping these sites and stuff and they collect data and we sell it to the carriers. So when Sprint and them come on and say they're the best across the nation and all that, part of it, they know it because we give them that data. And they pay millions of dollars for it. So now we're going to Mexico. So the Mexican team brought a team up to our office. And um, it was hard for me to pronounce the name. The leader was a short guy named Julio. So I said, Julio 1, Julio 2, Julio 3, Julio 4, but six of them. You know, they kind of laugh. But Julio was in my office, in my cubicle, and it was other people in the cubicle. And I'm sitting there working. And he was talking about going out to the clubs and kissing the girls and drinking and stuff. And I got tired of it. So I said, look, I used to drink. But one day, Jesus Christ came in my life. He changed me. And you need Jesus in your life. And Julio, who's the leader, short dude, ring leader, he said, I don't care for that religion and stuff like that. I said, Julio, you're right. I don't care for that religion either. You can hear a pin drop. Everybody was listening to me then. I said, I don't care for either. What I'm talking about, you see Julio too? You got a relationship with him. That's what I'm talking about, a relationship with a person. And that's what I had with Jesus Christ. And it was him that changed me. And he'll change you too. And about that time, you know, everybody want to scatter then. They don't want to hear nothing then. Well, well, they was up at train, so they had to do some other stuff. So I wasn't satisfied. I said, God, I want to do more than this. I got to do something but this. I just not satisfied with what I said. So I went home, prayed. I said, God, open the door. 
so I can talk some more to him. So the next day, I was taking the whole team to the garage where we got the vans and stuff. They're going to see how the vans are put together so we do all this work and stuff. Excuse me. And uh, so I get in the van. All of them, they, they jump. You know, they, they, they're not big people. They, they crammed into the car. They're going to follow me. So as I was pulling out the driveway, I noticed they wasn't following me. So I stopped, and Julio jumped out and jumped in my van. I said, y'all going to follow me? He said, yeah, but just in case they get lost, since you can't speak Spanish, we already heard your Spanish. You ain't all that good. You know, I can talk to him. I said, you're right, brother. You did right. So he got in the car. I didn't bit more think God was setting that up. I had, I had at least. 20 blocks that I could unload on Julio. Because if I get Julio, I got the rest of them. I'm going to tell you that now. So anyway, I didn't think about it. So then later on, it dawned on me. God has set that thing up. But I'm talking about business and all that. You know, I went by my mom's house. I said, you know, I live down the street there. You know, I'm talking about all that stuff. I felt bad. So the next day, I think it was the last day, they're all in my office getting ready to leave, saying bye, hi, and all this stuff. And when it get to me, I said, God, I got to say something. And I didn't. I didn't. Why do you think I didn't? Fear man could be it, but it was in my environment. I was hesitant because of my environment. And I felt bad afterwards. Guess what? That's where a lot of you at. A lot of you won't share Christ because of the environment. Let me give you an example. My wife, she goes in. She had this happen to her all the time. She goes in the store, Kroger's, some lady in pain and stuff. Just what happened, she in pain while my wife was right there. And uh, she was getting up and she, she was hollering, I think, in pain or something like that. And my wife told, talked to her a little bit. And my wife ministered to her and told her, you know, I'm going to be praying for you. And my wife said, back in her mind, just a little thought, why don't you pray for her now? She didn't take the step. Why? An environment. Fear man, whatever. Could be whatever it is. We do that. And yet, the God that we serve is in us, and we can release him by doing what Jesus did. But we don't do it. And these people who encounter God, they, they went past that. There's another example that I want to get into, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole scripture. It's the woman who anoint Jesus' feet. This woman, she anoint Jesus' feet. Uh, Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus to dinner. Jesus is an honored guest. And this woman decided to invade that dinner. She normally wouldn't have did it because she knew the first she looked down. She was a prostitute. And uh, she came and she got and Jesus and all the people sitting down from the historical place. They, they wasn't at a table, and, you know, sitting down there. They, they leaned on a couch and feet was away from the table. Well, she went behind Jesus and started crying, using her tears to wipe his feet. And she put her hair down to wipe his feet. For a woman to do that, in that culture, she could get stoned because letting you have that represents intimacy between a man and her husband. Not to do that. But she did that. She kissed his feet. And look what Jesus said. In, John, in Luke chapter 7, let's see, let me find it here. Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 44. It says, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Now, Jesus is on a guest. This is customs that they should have done for the honor guest. 
but she has wept my feet with her tears. She has wiped my feet, yeah, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You give me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anoint my feet with perfume. That perfume she had was valuable. She used it with other men, but she took the whole thing and poured it on Christ. He said, for this reason I say unto you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loved little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven you. This woman went, regardless of man, regardless of her status, somehow she encountered God before that. God had said something through Christ. She either heard a story, but she knew if I can get to him, that everything would be different. To get to him, she pursued God to the point that she was willing to go by all the criticism, all the, the, the mean looks, all the condemning looks, and all the embarrassment. She's willing to go all because she encountered God. Or God encountered her some way, somehow. So when I say we need to have a lifestyle where we're pursuing God, that's what I mean. If you pursue God, there's going to be some actions that you're going to do. There's going to be some results. Why? Because he pursued you first. He pursued me first. And that's why I am what I am. Take it or leave it. Let me give you another example. This happened a while back. Um, I was working troubleshooting radio. Had, um, I was, say I'm sitting right here. I was doing the transmitter side of radio. Had a friend had back, backwards to me. He was doing the, uh, I was doing the transmitter. He was doing the receiver side. And then we had a cage in between us. Well, in the cage, these radios would come in. The guys would test them as the problem. They'd send them to us. Then if we had a problem, we'd go way around the cage, and there would be a lady here or a man doing the repair. Well, just what happened this day, I was troubleshooting. I had a problem. I went over to the lady. This lady was a woman who, when I first went to GE, she uh, was going through a divorce. And I began to minister to her, try to help her. And over the years, our relationship grew to a point where we're, we're just not just told we're good friends. But when I went over there and gave her the radio, to this day, I don't know what it is that ticked her off. But she called me names. She said things to me that on the street they never said. The worst I've ever been called is in the Marine Corps. I didn't know you could create words and put them in sentences the way the drill instructors used to call commission. I had no idea that people thought and said that. Well, she was worse than them. And you know the one close to you can hurt you the most. Well, that hurt me. She never knew it. And I know I'm not the kind that is going to condemn you. I've had bosses come at me mad, and I ain't say nothing. I know some of my friends, they would have laid them out. I didn't. I took them in private and told them, hey, look, you don't have to do me like this. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And every one of them repent and change because the way I approach. Well, this lady, she's a good friend. I don't know what it was, but I came back over on this side, and I was sitting down. And the guy that was working with me was an unbeliever. And I put my head on the desk, and I was thinking about it, and tears started coming down my eyes. Because I've never been, my mama ain't talked to me like that. I'm telling you, my mama have hit me. I mean, I'm so soft. But that, what she said to me was worse than my mama. That's how bad it was. Well, tears started coming down my eyes. And just as I was about to boohoo, maybe, 
I can't remember all the details. The guy behind me turned around and said, if I ever become a Christian, I'm going to be just like you. Oh, them tears stuck back in my eyes. I lift my chest up. I turn around. You know what I heard? I heard God. I heard God tell me, don't care what that woman said. It's how I see you. That changed my life. I know my sins cannot stop me with God, nor my mistakes, because God don't see me the same way. I know how to take care of my sins. But I'm telling you now, God do not see you the same way. If you know who you are in Christ and you move based on that, brother, you can shake things up in your own personal life and the lives of others. It's because we don't. That's why we're in the mess we is now. Ain't got nothing to do with a Democrat or Republican. It's born-again believers who say they know the book and do not live by it. And I meet them all the time. They do not live by it. And then they say they follow Christ. You let me go in some churches and put some spit on a mud and say I'm going to heal somebody. They'll kick me out as fast as I went in. Because they don't know Christ. They don't know him. Like the Pharisees, they were fans of Jesus. They were just knowing about it. They knew about the Messiah. They read about him, but they didn't know him. And yet Jesus said, it's one greater than Solomon here. And you read about Solomon. You got people who get saved, and they don't do nothing. They don't study the word. They don't get in the word. They don't apply the word. You must do it so you can build a house that'll last through all eternity. And your kids, you do the best you can. But after they get a certain point, it's all on them. But you do your part. Me and you do your part. You be a priest of your home. You follow God. You seek after God. If you don't know how, come see me. I can tell you some things to do. Women, you do your part. If your man slack, you lift him up. The women slack, me and you lift her up. And you do it. And we'll change society. That's what it's about. That's why you encounter God. That's why God go after you because it's people that need Christ. This stuff is real. I don't care what they see out there. I don't care what. They can think one and one equals 15, but one and one is still two in my book. Amen? All right. Y'all can clap if you want to. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? All that, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to do it? Well, the first thing, I'm going to give you two things that you can do. The first thing you can do is know who you are in Christ. Find it in him, Scripture. Remember when I told you? that Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4. I'm going to read that right quick. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he did what he did, the healing of man. Where in Matthew chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, this is what it said about you and me. It said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under the basket but on a lampstand and give light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what you got to do. That's who you are. So then you have to figure out how you're going to let your light shine. You ask God, God will show you. You're going to make mistakes. Like when I was wanting to pray for the Mexicans. It was a mistake. I should have did it. And I ain't too much afraid of anybody when it comes to the gospel. But that time I didn't do it. So it's like, God, give me another chance. And God will put you in a situation where your comfortability, your comfort level would be challenged. You have to get past that. And it takes practice. Don't get me wrong. God know where you're at. Know where I am. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 through 8. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. 
For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. Telling us this is how we walk, as children of light. Then 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 8, it said, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one another. Do you know that some people I can't have fellowship with because they're not walking in light as he is in the light? You cannot do it. Matter of fact, if you're walking in light and someone is not, it can be exposed just like it. A lot of people, they come in here, they don't know that their sins already been exposed. There are people in here who walk by the Spirit. When you come here, they know what you're doing. They know what you've done. Because this is not a game. This is real. Now, the reason why they don't tell you, maybe God said don't say anything, but they know. And a lot of times, you know, you got a thought that come in your mind. You think it's just you. But it could be God. How you going to know unless you test it? That's what my first message, pursuing a spirit-led life. That's what that was about. But here it said, but if you walk in the light as, him, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we don't have sin, so forth and so on, that's true. So, number one, uh, know who you are in Christ. There's tons of scriptures. The Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Galatians 2 and 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ who lives in me. If he lives in me, he wants to live out me. I'm his hands and eyes. I am to reflect him. One reason we have the Holy Spirit, the Bible said Jesus reflects the Father. One of the disciples said, show us the Father. He said, have not been so long with you? You haven't seen me? The Jehovah's Witnesses get it wrong. They think that he's saying he is the Father. Not. He said, I'm reflecting the Father. Everything you see me do. When I touch somebody, that's the Father's touching somebody. Well, then he turns around and gives the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is only going to imitate what Jesus do. So he wants us to reflect him. In turn, we reflect the Father. So you got to know that. And you got to believe it. And most of you already know that. So anyway, that's what you need to do. And the second thing is, Ask God for a daily encounter experience with him. Let's start with your devotional time. If you have a devotion time in the morning or in the evening, wherever you do, ask God then. God, open my eyes. May I say, be like the, the people on the road to Emmaus. Y'all know about the story, but the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus had died and they were disturbed and stuff. They were having that devotional time. They didn't know it. But they, was, they had trouble in heart. Now, how many of you have had trouble in heart? I have. And you go to God. Go to Scripture. Ask God to open the Scripture. And God will come on. You may not know it. There are many times that God is doing something, you have no clue. He's right there with you. But at times, he'll open your eyes and you'll see. But when you're having a devotion time, that's not the time to accumulate knowledge. That's the time where you want to uh, work on your relationship with him. Let him show you things. Let, I'm not saying you won't accumulate knowledge, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to develop your relationship with him. Because if you believe he is, then that's the time to start the process. I'm not saying that's the only time, but that's the start. Ask God, God, open my eyes. Help me to see. You orchestrate my day. Show me what I need to do. If there's sin in my life, whatever you show me, I do. Then at the end of your day, did you do what he said? Come back at the end of your day. You start off in Christ, at the end of the day, end in Christ. So you'll walk perfect before God. And I'm not saying you do this every day, but you just do it sometime. Father, this is what you said to me this morning, and this is what I did. I did the best that I can do. And then you lay your heads on your bed, and you know that I've done the best I know I can do. Until God show you otherwise, that's the way you walk. 
And during the day in between, you're expecting God to encounter God some way. And God will set up circumstances. You ask God a question, believe that he's going to answer. Then start looking for the answer. These are the ways you have experience with God. And there's other ways that you can do. So those are the two things to do. Know who you are in Christ. And know who you are in Christ. Meditate on it. And ask God, how do I walk this out? Then seek God every day. Ask God, I need you. I want to experience you. I don't want to be a fan. You all know what a fan is. They know the statistics. They know all the stats. They know all this stuff. You take any sports player. You're a fan. Unless you eat with them, spend time at their home, know their family, you're just a fan. But Jesus, you don't want to be just a fan. Don't come to church and just hear the speaker and then go home and do nothing. Figure out what you can do with this man. It may be one thing that you can do. Then do that. And that's walking in what God says. Okay? Uh, Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.